Daisy. And I'm Terry. And this is the Monday, Monday Mindset, Mindset Podcast. Where we talk about things that are of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 27. This week it's Terry's turn to share something that she's found interesting. What have you got for us this week, Terry? Well, Daisy, I could probably choose topics from this person every week for the next few months and still not cover all that he has to say. But I found him probably about a year ago or so, and his name is Judson Brewer. Ah. And he is a psychiatrist. He is the Director of Research and Innovation at the Mindfulness Center and is an Associate Professor in Psychiatry at the School of Medicine at Brown University also a research affiliate at MIT. So pretty smart guy, I would say. Mm. And I think the reason I like his work so much is that he's in the mental health field. So I have some connection with him there. But what I really love about it is it's not just talking about medication or ways to treat things, but his work very much focuses on using mindfulness, particularly in treating addiction. Much of his work is around addiction. I've listened to him for about the past year. Um, he has a great book called The Craving Mind. There's a subtitle, which I can't remember at the moment, but um, we will post that in the show notes. But it's cravings about food, cigarettes, and even things like your cell phone. The episodes that I listened to to talk about today, one, as you know, I often pull from is The School of Greatness with Lewis Howes. And that talk was called All Successful People Break These Bad Habits. And an episode of a podcast that I'd never listened to before by a woman named Sharon Salzberg. She is mindfulness and meditation person. And that one didn't have a specific title, just that he was the guest. And then another episode of The Rich Roll show. And I don't know if we've ever talked about that show before. Mm, we haven't. That's the first. I've listened to some of his podcasts and some of his focus strays pretty far from me. He's very much into plant-based eating, mm. vegetarian and vegan eating. But I love a lot of the guests that he has on his show talking about health. He also is someone who he was an athlete who was really derailed from his success because of addiction to alcohol and drugs. So having Judson Brewer on his show, I think was really great. So he talks about treatment of addiction with mindfulness. First, he talks about on each of these episodes, the idea that he believes at some level, all of us have addictions. And he talks about really his definition of addiction has something to do with the idea of continuing to use more despite negative consequences. And so if you think of it that way, you know, oftentimes I think we think of addictions like gambling, alcohol, drugs, possibly sex, food, but realistically it can be even thinking too much, mm. a certain line of thinking. It certainly can be our cell phones or entertainment or Netflix or anything like that, but continued use despite negative consequences. And so one of the ways that people often think about changing habits and combating addiction is that we should have more willpower. And this isn't kind of old, outdated way of thinking about it. Because willpower is really activated in the prefrontal cortex of our brain. 
And it is the weakest part of the brain and the first to go offline in moments of stress. Hmm. And so if we're using our willpower as the thing that helps us to create better habits, break bad habits, or work with addiction, we're using a very weak tool to do that. So he instead really encourages us to think about that our behavior is a reward-based system. So the reward drives future behavior. And then how this really plays out for us is that with habits and addictions, the rewards that we have learned that we're going to get from something is what drives our use or our continued activation of that behavior. And so that's where we need to focus. I've got to say, at this point, it sounds a little bit like the best method for dog training. (laughs) 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 So I'm kind of interested to see where it's going to go. (laughs) Positive reinforcement. (laughs) So in talking about this being a reward-based system, he first starts talking about food. And now, of course, for some of us, this is one of our areas of addiction. So we'll talk some more about that later. But he talks about that as an example of how this process is learned. Food is survival for a human being and starvation that can mean death. So early on, we got food and that was helpful for our survival. And so our brain reinforced it to remind us where we got the food and what we got. And it used dopamine to do this. So he talks a bit about dopamine in in various places. And he really talks about many of us have a misconception about dopamine, that it's really just a feel-good chemical and that we use it to get that feel-good feeling. And really, he talks about it, it's more of a reinforcer. It tells our brain to remind ourselves, this is where we got food, this is what it felt like. So no harm, no foul in that, except that in our current lives, food as the example, we have an abundance. Most of us have an abundance of food. And so we're reminded all of the time to go for food and to have that feeling. He then talks a little bit about hunger, and he refers to homeostatic versus hedonic hunger. Hedonic is it feels good. It tastes good. I want that. It's about a positive feeling. Whereas homeostatic is about survival and giving the body what it needs. So he also talks about a function in the brain that confused me a bit. So I went and did some research, found some scientific articles and remembered why I was an English major. (laughs) But he talks about the default mode network, the DMN in our brain. And His research most recently is about the effects of meditation and mindfulness and looking at addiction again. So the system within the brain, it talks about whether it's activated or deactivated and which is better. But for example, it's activated when someone who is addicted to a substance is provided images so that they view the addictive substance. Mm Both wanting more or less activates this part of the brain. Whereas focusing on something and meditation actually deactivates this part of the brain. And so there there are reasons why mindfulness and meditation are so powerful. And so again, his big focus, and he has done a lot of meditation training in his life, 
which he needed at one time because he was highly distraught after a relationship ended and was in medical school and really needed to figure out what he was going to do about his anxiety. So he learned the power of meditation. And what I liked about these episodes I listened to is they didn't go into as much detail about meditation, though the one episode did because she is big on meditation, but more about why that is important in the brain and how it can help with addiction. So going back to the idea of our habits and addiction being about a reward-based system, that our behavior is based on reward, what he encourages is for us to think about if we have problematic habits, to first identify what the habits are, what's the routine, how does it play out, and then think about the reward. What do I get from this? And similar to what I talked about with Marissa Peer's episode, the feelings outweigh the logic. So if I say, oh, from this, I get a good future, that's a logic-based reward. We are more driven by feeling-based rewards. So how does it feel in the moment? How do I get rewarded by this? So habits get set up based on the anticipated reward value of something. And he talks about we have a positive negative prediction error. We assume something's going to be a more positive reward or more negative result, but that we often don't predict it accurately. But we have this anticipated reward value, and this is mediated, and he kept saying this word that, again, I had to look up and read a little bit more about, the orbitofrontal cortex. So it's a part of the brain that actually helps us gauge the reward value of something. And so what he has people do to change habits and to stop addictive behavior is to use mindfulness while engaging in the behavior. So let's say, for example, my addiction or habit that I want to change is eating, excessively eating sweet food. What he would teach me to do is be more mindful while I'm doing that. And to be mindful in that is to pay attention to what I'm feeling, what happens within my body. Do I feel full? Do I feel uncomfortable? Do I feel warm? Does my throat hurt when I eat this? Or, you know, do I feel comforted? But to really pay attention to the sensations in the moment, being mindful of what's happening for us. And then we will notice over time, the reward value diminishes, it decreases, which makes us want more, we have to keep going for more. Now in his real strategy, we want to diminish the value we place on certain rewards of this problematic substance or habit. So for example, by being mindful, I might notice this food tastes really good. I start to feel kind of queasy when I get really full. And now I start to feel sick. I'm nauseous for the rest of the night. I fell asleep early because I was in a bit of a food coma. That's what I want to take forward with me when I make future decisions about this behavior. So I want to diminish the reward value. I want to decrease the value I place on that behavior. And he uses an, an example. He does a lot of smoking cessation work. And he talks about an example with a, a client who had been smoking for 40 years a pack a day. So if you think about that habit, it has gotten reinforced, did the math, 
probably about 300,000 times. Mm. Willpower is not going to break that habit. <laughs> it's not going to cut it, is it? <laughs> no. That client is not going to say, you know what? I think life would just be better if I didn't smoke and it'll be less expensive and my lungs will thank me. That is not going to change that habit. Especially when you were saying what you were saying about stress and stress diminishes mm-hmm. willpower. Because mm-hmm. that's one of the things, isn't it, with smoking and nicotine? It has that cycle of bringing about stress in between that Absolutely. you think is going to be diminished by having the next cigarette. And you just brought up another point that I will bring up in a moment. So I'll have to go back to that. So he teaches a client like that to do is pay attention. A client will say, okay, I'm going to be more conscious. Now he doesn't say don't smoke. Mm, yeah, I noticed that before. Just go smoke like you smoke, but be mindful, pay attention to what you're experiencing. Mm. And what happens is the reward value diminishes. You start to realize, you know what? The cigarette actually tastes terrible. <laughs> I actually cough when I smoke this thing. My um, hands are yellow from you know the nicotine. And it takes away the reward value we had placed on it. And it's more accurate now. And so that kind of reminds me of what you just talked about. He used an example of, birthday cake. So when we're young, however old we were, maybe some of us, it might have been as early as one or two, maybe five, you go to a birthday party and you associate this birthday cake with all of the fun of the party, the games and the kids playing and the presents and other junky food. So you get associated with it, all of these positive things. But now you're 45, you need to lose 50 pounds and you have prediabetes. We are still going back to that old reward value we placed on it when we were five. It's fun, it's relaxing, it feels so good, when in actuality, it's incongruent with all of our goals. So we want to pay more attention to the actual experience of having that or doing that behavior now so that we can decrease that reward value. So again, this part of our brain is our oldest part of our brain. It's that feeling motivated part. And so now our job is to update the reward value. The thinking part of our brain is newer and the older part tends to win out. And so we, again, that's why we're having to reassess the reward value and pay attention to the result of the behavior now. He also talks about in the diminishing returns concept of this theory, he calls it the BBO, which is the bigger, better offer. Hmm. Because we might say, I don't know, I really still like chocolate cake, Terry. I really want that. And so he talks about having to focus on in that moment of being mindful, to be curious about the craving, to be curious about what you're feeling and pay attention there. And then in a more philosophical way, in each of these episodes, he talks about this idea that an example of a craving, the feeling of a craving is kind of a contracted feeling. It's, a, it's almost like a tension. You feel kind of locked in and closed down. Whereas curiosity, exploring what you're experiencing and thinking about this craving is an expansive thought process to be in. It's opening up. And that this is the bigger, better offer. I can feel closed down by this craving, 
or I can feel the expansiveness of this curiosity and this being here in the moment. For me, this is where the theory, I imagine it struggling a little bit in my use of it, because that cake might still sound better than the curiosity. And so I think that might be an area that I would have to work on developing. He said that he finds for food example, that someone would have to eat the item or engage in this behavior possibly up to 10 times to really dive into it before they really could start to change the reward value. It's going to be reinforced at first, and then eventually you're going to be able to diminish the reward value and then change the behavior. Yeah, there are two things really I'm thinking of. One, it brings back a very specific memory for me of an ice cream eating episode. And I do remember it very vividly. So for some reason, I was being very mindful about it. I'm not quite sure why. I think maybe because the feelings were very heightened and maybe that's why I remember it so vividly. But that was my biggest weakness, or one of my biggest weaknesses, I should say. But when it came to sweet treats, tubs of haagen were my biggest weakness. They haven't always been available in the supermarkets, but they had just started being available. And it was one of the rare occasions where the supermarket was opened on a Sunday. And I'd, I'd had a tub and I'd run out, but I knew it was, it was Sunday the next day and that they were going to be open. And so it was having to get there in time because those were the days before I was an early morning person. And so getting there before 12 was actually a bit of a struggle. But that reward factor, I can remember the difference between the reward level of the anticipation. It was like this roller coaster. So going up, going up, going up, this building, the thought of it the night before when I knew I was going. And then journey to the supermarket, the imagining what flavors there might be with the tubs I was going to buy, getting hold of the tubs of ice cream, thinking about eating it, the anticipation, building, building, building. When I actually got to taste my first taste out of one of those tubs, what I found interesting was what I realized was that I was already on the way back down that the anticipation of the reward was higher than the actual physical taste reward. And I realized at that moment that I was on my way down, but I was strapped in for the ride and I couldn't get off. And I was locked into, I guess, the the cravings and the fulfillment of those cravings. And I remember very vividly just working my way through that tub and feeling back in the days really before I'd started to lose the weight and all the feelings that became associated with that. So the guilt and the remorse of having succumbed to it and they're just feeling dreadful about myself but carrying on eating it because it was kind of comfort food except I was very aware that it actually wasn't giving me any comfort but I still very much needed that comfort and the only place I could get the comfort was in carrying on eating the ice cream but I was going to carry on doing so with tears streaming down my face and it was just an awful experience. Mm -hmm. As you can 
can tell I've remembered it quite vividly. But I have since found it very interesting. And fairly soon afterwards, with hindsight, I found it very interesting to be aware of, especially with particular kind of foods, that the anticipation and that saliva drooling of thinking about that food that was the high point Mm -hmm. and actually when you got to taste it you're already starting to come down on the other side Mm -hmm. and that was i think when and it's certainly not something i've i'm yet still to master but that was a bit of an aha moment about the way cravings work and the reward system works especially with certain kind of foods mm-hmm. it's interesting because in that example then in some ways your reward came through the anticipation mm. and so i think in his model he would have you actually cut that even shorter and play out the craving the decision the planning that those were actually becoming the behavior to change because that's where you were placing the reward. You thought it was going to come with the food, but you were actually getting the reward in the planning and the decision themselves. Mm. Yes, I guess what I was going to ask you was, what's the solution? What's the next step? And it made a lot of sense with being very mindful in the moment with whatever it is with food or with cigarettes and you spoke about being very mindful about so he's not saying to stop doing it at least although everybody knows that's presumably why the person's there discussing with him that's the ultimate goal but he's not saying to start with to stop it he's just saying keep doing it but the deal is to be mindful about it as you're doing it mm-hmm And you talk about this bigger, better offer. What are the next steps between being mindful and finding out what this bigger, better offer is to that ultimate goal of kicking the habit that you're trying to kick? Mm -hmm. The way I understand it, it's really learning to use mindfulness appropriately and Big picture, not only in the moment of struggle with something, but just using more mindfulness overall so that you have more of this calming of this part of the brain and this being in a good place with it. Something you just described, the way that he did not say at first, don't eat it. If you go back to part of the description that I think I shared, even focusing on not having it is focusing on it, which still activates that part of the brain. Mm. So the want of it and the focus on not having it can both create the same heightened activity in that in the brain. And so instead, rather than reinforcing it by wanting it and reinforce it by struggling to not have it, to start learning more about what does this thing actually do for you. And again, working on diminishing the reward that you connect with that. He talks about examples where he saw a patient who came to him mostly for anxiety because he treats a lot of anxiety as well. And so much anxiety that the man had a hard time even coming to the clinic, just coming a couple of miles was very hard, you know, typically stayed in the home. And he had learned to use eating as his way of managing his anxiety. So he was quite obese or overweight. And when Judd saw him next time, the man had lost a significant amount of weight because he had learned and recognized that it didn't carry that reward that he had been using it for. 
and he was able to work through his anxiety using Judd's techniques and as a result also lost a significant amount of weight, even though their goal was not to work on weight loss. Mm. It's kind of a side effect. Yeah, it's very true what you say about cravings in that it really does heighten the fact that you're thinking about things mm-hmm. and it heightens the tension around it. And I was wondering a little bit whether, I guess where potentially this is where maybe he brings meditation in. You talked about with this default mode network and one of the ways of deactivating it was to use meditation. And so I'm wondering if it gets activated by wanting it or cravings and trying to resist the cravings. That's all the kind of thing that activates it and heightens it and potentially bringing in some use of meditation in some way is a good way of deactivating it and calming all those feelings down. Yes. Mm -hmm. Meditation does, they did studies, his lab, they actually hook people up to, you know, functional images and they can see parts of the brain, the activity level changes with meditation. Hmm. I think for me, one of the points about the questions you've been asking that is so important is sometimes when we want to resolve something, we focus on it a lot. Hmm. And it made me think about his point that focusing on something, being driven by it can create more of a need to do it or to resolve it in that way versus, again, the mindfulness and meditation is to come away from that topic. Focus less on that. Maybe even be, again, curious, why am I focusing on that so much? What would that feel like to me if I resolved that? Um, What am I noticing right now as I think about it? That oftentimes that could help decrease that activation and therefore help us not have to engage in whatever the behavior is. But I I see this a lot when something's, when I'm struggling with something or someone else is struggling with something, as we perseverate on it, we're actually locking down, we're we're contracting Mm -hmm. and we're making it more, we're going to need some relief from that. And again, if we have addictions or problematic behaviors, we're at more risk to engage in them when we've become so focused on getting locked into these um, different thoughts. Yes, and I like that idea of instead approaching with curiosity and Mm -hmm. doing the opposite of that, encouraging expansiveness. And I think that's what meditation also encourages, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Is an expansiveness, is an openness Mm -hmm. rather than a contraction. Mm -hmm. It certainly reminded me that this is, for some reason, it's something I've been kind of resisting, whether it's my rebel tendency, (laughs) whatever it is that's kind of been resisting, but it's something that keeps circling around for some reason. And a part of me knows that this feels like it's potentially part of the jigsaw, part of the puzzle. I need to find a way of putting that puzzle piece into place. This episode has reminded me to circle back to that again. And actually, another of Rongan's episodes, I seem to remember fairly recently, was was one of his compilation episodes where 
He's taken a few others and it was all about, I think, mindfulness and meditation top tips. So mm-hmm. I think that might be the next one that I re-listen to. But yes, I can see how there's there's potentially there's a key there mm-hmm. with that curiosity, meditation, expansiveness that I certainly, it's reminded me that that's something that I want to explore. So I think, although it's, in some ways it feels like a side note, but that's what I'm going to be taking away this week and working on. It's funny that you bring that up. I think it was in the Rich Roll podcast. They talked some about that because Rich brought up the idea, you know, as a former addict of alcohol and drugs. He said, yeah, if you tell me not to do that, I'm going to rebel and do it more. And I thought, oh, here comes the rebel part. (laughs) And that's when Judd said, yeah, that's why the curiosity is a a healthier approach to that. It's Mm. rather than I can't do this or being told not to do it. Mm. It's let me be curious about what's going on. Let me be curious about what I'm experiencing. And that's such a less threatening approach, I think, especially for those of you with the rebel tendency. Definitely. That if all you have to do about it is be curious and be mindful versus being told, don't do it. Yeah, it's going to appeal to questioners as well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And for listeners, Judd has a, a number of episodes recently on various podcasts, but talking about anxiety, it's one of his big topics. And for anxiety right now during COVID, that's again, where I started listening to him again this year and his responses to how to deal during a time like this. He also has three apps and I have talked with people who use these apps and find them very useful. The first is a smoking cessation app called Commit to Quit. The other is about anxiety and it's called Unwinding Anxiety. And there is one about eating, mindful eating, and that is called Eat Right Now. And so if anyone's curious and wants to learn more about how they can start practicing this depending on what the things they are working on, those apps might be great places for them. Good idea. I'm going to continue in response to this episode. I'm going to kind of go back to that idea of reward value and exploring that concept more for myself and also in my work with people in the coaching that I do, because I think it's a really important concept. And I'm glad that I got back into listening to Judd Brewer. So I hope everyone has a great week and we'll see you soon. Have a great week. 